0: You are listening to a message by Travis Scott from our gatherings at Shorebreak. Visit shorebreakchurch.com to get connected with more content. And if you would like to support the gospel being preached in Kona and to thousands online, your tax-deductible donation enables us to further Jesus' mission. Partner with us by giving at shorebreakchurch.com backslash give. Mahalo. Hey, why don't you turn in your Bibles this morning to the book of Ruth. If you guys can make your way to the book of Ruth. And we are so stoked to have every single one of you joining us here this morning. If you don't know me, or if you're visiting, or if you're kind of checking church out, seeing where you would put your roots down in a church, uh, my name is Travis, and I'm one of the pastors here at the church among some of the other pastors you saw up here during that appreciation. And I am so thankful, just so you know, for all of those uh, men. Uh, Without them, uh, we would be in some serious trouble. I'd be in jail without them, honestly, honestly. Like some, something wrong would go happen. I don't know what it would be, but it would not be good nonetheless. And so um, we are so thankful for every single one of them. And if you are new and you're visiting this church and uh, you might be wondering what we're about, what, are, what is our conviction, our passions as a church, um, we are a church that is all about Jesus. We seek to make much of his name. It's all about him. All of life is to be a focus on him, to be an exaltation of him. And so that is what we are doing here this morning. Really what we're doing is we're amplifying Jesus, which is our vision as a church. And we've said it again, and we'll we'll say it more, that if we fail to amplify Jesus to make much of his name, may God shut the doors, because we have nothing else to be doing this this morning than if we are not exalting the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, making much of his name. So that is our vision. And again, if you are new, uh, welcome to you. Um, last week was a, a, a good week. My wife and I were blessed. Uh, thank you for letting us go on vacation for about a week and a half. Uh, it wasn't really a vacation; it was more of a trip. Um, Long story there, but uh, we, we went back on the mainland for a few days. I'm so incredibly grateful to be back. Like, woo, right? You know what I'm talking about, some of you. Um, I'm just grateful we live here. Um, Pastor's to- Pastor Toby's message, though, last week was phenomenal. Um, I listened to it. My wife listened to it. We were both equally blessed. And so if, um, you know, if, if you haven't listened to that, message. uh, It's on iTunes. You can download it or you can always go to shorebreakchurch.com and listen to it there. Uh, But it is a really good message out of James 1 on suffering and trials and the one true trial that, that Christ ultimately did on our behalf for us. I was very, very blessed by that. And so I'm sure those of you who are here were blessed as well. I'm stoked because today we start a new book of the Bible, the book of Ruth. And so hopefully you've made your way there. We have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, book number eight, Ruth, the book of Ruth. Now, this, I personally believe, is what makes our church distinct from many other churches. Um, Not that we are better than other churches, but but there are distinctions between Shorebreak Church and other churches, right? I mean, there should be, because if not, then why don't we all just gather and collectively meet together with all of the churches? Well, there are distinctions, there are beliefs, and some of those are good, and some of those are are not so good, but one of our distinctions, one of the things that we feel separates us, makes us different than the church right down the street, whichever church it is, I don't, I don't, I don't know, I'm not naming anyone specifically, just hypothetically, is that we are dedicated to the declaration of the word of God by studying through books of the Bible. Um, we we believe that this is our deep conviction for us as a church to make and weave our way through books of Bible, I'm not saying God doesn't use other methods, but this is what we as a team are committed to. You can know, you can expect that as long as these doors stay open by the grace of God, we will be studying through books of the Bible. And as we exposit the text, what we're really doing is is beginning with what God has said, like God has spoken. And so when we open the pages of the Bible, no matter what book it is, we can go to Leviticus. I don't know if you've ever made it through Leviticus in your Bible reading times, but we can open that. And even in Leviticus, it is the inspired, authoritative, perfect, God-breathed word. It, It is his word. And so I don't have to. You know, be a chef and come up with something every Sunday that is new for you. Like, first, if I'm in a kitchen, it's a disaster already. It, things do not go well when I'm in the kitchen. I'm not the cook of the house. I'm trying to learn how to barbecue, and that's going okay. But uh, anything more than that, I mean, I don't even know where some like, babe, where's the butter? It's in the fridge, hon. Oh, okay. I guess that's where you keep butter. Um, I'm not in the kitchen trying to make up beautiful dishes for you to enjoy every Sunday. I am simply the server where the, 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 the meal has already been prepared and I am just here to deliver it to you Sunday morning saying this is what simply God has said. And this is important because even as Pastor Leo shared earlier in the Bible reading, um, that God esteems His word and his name above everything else in creation. And so we as a church should come, humble ourselves at the credence of his word, saying, God, your word is above my opinions, above my preferences. It needs to change me, mold me, transform me, shape me because it is alive. It is true, and it's doing that right now because the Bible promises his word does not return void. And it's been amazing to see even going through the book of Colossians, the transformation of the gospel and the word of God taking root deeper and deeper into people's lives. It's it's incredible to see how God does it. It's not me, it's not any of these other guys or any of us who teach you, it's the word of God. So again, it's our strong belief that when we open the Bible, we are reading God's chosen revelation to man. It's what Paul told young pastor Timothy and 1 Timothy 4.2, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. Paul says, preach the word, pastors, declare what God has said in the scriptures. And he says, do it when it's in season. So in other words, do it when everyone seems to be doing it. Do it when it is extremely popular and do it out of season. Do it when no one seems to be doing it. Do it when it's not popular. Do it even when it's not politically correct, when you go through some of the things that the scripture says of which it addresses. You preach it and you do it in season and out of season. And this is our commitment to you. And so you can expect every Sunday as you come to this church for you to bring your Bibles. Bring your Bibles. And maybe you don't have a paper Bible. We have Bibles for free out at the connect table. At the end of the service, make sure you grab one on the way out. Of course, you know, with phones today, people have Bible apps. That works too. Um, but all that to say, bring your Bibles and your pens and begin to mark down and mark up your Bibles, what God is revealing to you. If God has spoken to you, through his word, if God is revealing truth to you, if you're not gonna write it down, you're gonna walk away and you're gonna not remember that much of it, right? And so write it down, remember it, bring it because it's hard to give swimming lessons without water, right? And so I could be making this stuff up. I seriously could, I'd be be making stuff up and so I would encourage you, I'm not going to, but (laughs) I would encourage you to be in God's word. Ruth chapter one. Beginning in verse one it stand for the reading of his word. This is just the beginning. This is an introduction. This is the debut of the book of Ruth. Though we are not going to be going through um, much today in Ruth, we are really going to be getting expositing it next week, but we will start today with verse 1, of which we read, In the days when the judges ruled, There was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. Gracious, powerful, heavenly Father, we come before you this morning humbled by your glory and awe of your majesty. You have given us your word. May in our hearts we bow down and worship you. May we lay at your feet, glorifying you, giving our lives to everything you've said in the scriptures being completely devoted to them by your spirit, being transformed by them so that we would look more and more like Jesus and so that more people in Kona and on this island would come to know you as their Lord and as their Savior. God, you have given us the book of Ruth. You have given us the truths not just as a story in past, but the story to meet us in the present and to reveal to us what you would have for us as we seek to glorify you and all that we do. And as we begin this book, we pray that you would be glorified, that you would be exalted, that we would see the gospel infused within every verse, the blood of Christ bleeding from every text in Ruth. And would you help me to be faithful to what you have said? Would you give me the words to say? Holy Spirit, would you empower me to be faithful? And would you all give us ears to hear what the Spirit would be saying to us this morning in your word, for your glory? And it's in Jesus' name we all pray. Amen. You guys can be seated. In the mid-18, early to mid-1800s, two German brothers decided to take a collective of old folk tales and stories and make them into one. Working in a library, Jacob and Wilhelm Grimm had a slew of books at their fingertips. And having a passion and being pretty much obsessed with these folk tales and short stories, up until the 1800s, they, their stories had been scattered everywhere. And different libraries would hold different books. And so there was really no place where you can just go and read all of these stories in one place. And so because short stories were and literature was unorganized and scattered, Jacob and Wilhelm would take these, all of these stories, put them in a hardback book, book and publish them, for many people to read. Now, this has become known as the Brothers Grimm Collective. Maybe you've heard of that. Um, It is nothing like the 2005 movie of the Brothers Grimm Collective, which really features these brothers as carn artists. That's not really the true Brothers Grimm Collective. Now, maybe you've never heard of Jacob and Wilhelm's Collective, but you've probably heard of Snow White. You've probably heard of Rapunzel. Cinderella, Sleeping Beauty. These were all stories that, that the Grimm's Collective had taken and put them into books to then publish them, easy access for all of us to read. Now what's interesting is, as I have been studying up on this, that all of these fairy tales, folk tales, short stories were actually once, actually once very explicit in nature. Um... Rapunzel had an inappropriate relationship uh, in this story. In um, Snow White, someone the stepmother was murdered with a shoe. Like You don't see that, right? And, and the movies are the things we have today. So what they did is the Brothers Grimm had taken these explicit and offensive stories in nature and many of these folk tales and they softened them a bit. By the time Walt Disney put these stories into motion picture, we have something that is a very much romanticized, soft, uh, viewer-friendly, reader-friendly version from the original story. The wicked edge has been softened. The dark shadows lifted. Now, while Ruth does have some elements of Cinderella-like fairy tale stories, this book is anything but censored. The Bible is explicit. The pain is real. It is not softened for us to enjoy. It is brutally honest about suffering. The book of Ruth is, is not really, the, the name is, is okay, but the book of Ruth is really about suffering. The book of Ruth is about death, of what would seem chance and luck, but we'll get there when we get there and unpack that. And of course, it is a beautiful story of redemption. Ruth is one of the most incredible short stories, not only in scriptures, but in all of history. This non-fiction literature is made up of four chapters, 85 verses, each verse penned with Hebrew art forms and events that actually took place. These things really happen. Now, we don't know for sure who wrote the book of Ruth, but we know uh, the book of Ruth was written around the time when David, King David, was on the throne. So we could assume probably around 1000 BC, about a thousand years before Christ came. Uh, It is believed that it is most likely the prophet Samuel who penned the book, which makes sense given his Writing style and the cadence of events that unfold throughout the scriptures. Ruth's characters not only just follow Ruth, who was a Moabite, which we'll learn more about that in a little bit, especially next week, but we will meet other characters throughout this classical story as well. Naomi, Orpa, Malon, Chileon, Elimelech, Boaz. And the core of this story is the gospel. Now, you're not going to find gospel, the word gospel, in this book. But you will see its shadows throughout this entire story. So I would encourage you, please, read ahead. Be in this book. Indulge in all of its splendor and its truth. Let it shape you and transform you as you do. Because the book of Ruth is really a diamond in the rough. Its backdrop of darkness was so thick at this time, you could cut it with a knife. Because as we read in verse one, in the days when the judges ruled. Now you don't have to turn, you only have to turn one page to the left to get a sketch of what, the days of the judges looked like. What did the days of the judges look like? Judges 21, verse 25, the last verse and statement in the book of Judges, just one page back, it says this, that in those days there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Very interesting phrase there. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Israel is God's covenant people. God had made a covenant with them, a promise to them, so as long as they are obedient to God and follow him. And he promised them that if they would follow him and obey him, Israel would be blessed. And if they did not follow him, but they were rebellious towards God, the one and true God, that there would be consequences for that as well. And heavy suffering and consequences would come. And so in Judges, throughout Judges, you have everyone doing what was right in their own eyes, and then they would come back to a place of repentance. Then they would go back and do what was right in their own eyes. Then they would come back to repentance, and they kept this cycle of sin and repentance, sin and repentance, sin and repentance. They were rebellious. The nation of Israel kept doing what was right in their own eyes and that is how the book of Judges finish. So this is the backdrop of which we now step into the beginning, the debut of our characters of which we'll really get into next week. So it's good for us to understand before we jump into the book what we're jumping into. And how rebellious were God's people? Verse 25 of Judges 21, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. How bad was the rebellion? Everyone was doing it. Everyone jumped on board. Everyone was in rebellion to God. Everyone thought they knew better than God. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. It made sense to them, so they did it. In fact, the rebellion was so deep that even the priests had backed off the truth and started slacking on their jobs. The priests, the ones who were representatives for God to the people were not doing what they should have been doing. Now here's the thing, a lot of times we read In 2014, yeah, everyone, I bet they did do what was right in their own eyes then. We think this is often a Jewish problem. Thousands of years ago, in Old Testament times, but this is our problem today, right? Like how far do you have to look to realize everyone today or a majority of people are doing what is right in their own eyes? Pretty easy to tell. I can prove this to you because of Sky Mall Magazine. You know what I'm talking about? (laughs) The magazines that you have in the airplanes when you're bored out of your mind and you look through the ridiculous stuff they have in there. I can prove to you that everyone today is still doing what is right in their own eyes, because as I was flipping through SkyMall Magazine recently, I saw the potty putter. Do you know, any of you, no, no one's heard of the potty putter? I'm not even kidding. I was flipping through it, and I couldn't believe it. There's this picture of a guy sitting with his, his, his pants down on the toilet, putting while he's going potty. And I'm and it's like, you know, and I'm looking at this, it's only nineteen ninety nine. Really? Okay. What am I supposed to do with that? And I, and I wish I was kidding. This was their slogan for the potty putter. Practice your putting on the potty. Like this is real? And I could not believe it. And it's like, get yours now before it sells out. Really? I'm sure that's a problem. Yeah. Like who in their right mind honestly would think that's a good idea? And if you own the potty putter, I do not apologize for that. You can repent, okay? <laughs> they even in the commercial, and I even, I end up going online to verify this to make sure I wasn't losing my mind. And they had an infomercial on it, and it's like get yours before we run out, and you can get an extra bonus of some extra balls and some extra clubs and all these things. And like, are you kidding? Like, who even cares? Someone thought that in their their eyes, this was a good idea. And a few morons who this person surrounded on them with also thought this was a great idea. Yeah, man, you should totally do that. It's a great idea. Now, potty putter aside, why is it wrong to do things in our own eyes? Like, honestly, like, to be really transparent here. Why is it wrong for you to do things in your own eyes? I mean, after all, you know how to handle your money. I mean, you, you kind of got your life together. Things maybe, maybe some of you not, but maybe for a majority of you, your, your, your life is kind of going in the direction you would hope and your marriage is all right or your, your singleness is fine. You would like to get married, but I mean, things are not really, you know what's right. You know what's wrong. Your opinions are true and they are good. Why is it wrong to do things in our own eyes? Proverbs fourteen twelve says this. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. See, what the nation of Israel have been doing consistently and constantly all the way up, bleeding through the pages of the book of Ruth, as they have been doing what was right in their own eyes. They thought they knew what was best for their life. They thought they knew how to run their life. They thought they had all these things together. And when we think we know what's best, We actually don't, and we end up messing up our life. Now, this is gonna go contrary to all of the fairy tales you watch in Disney movies and and other movies, and of course, most advice that is given today. Don't follow your heart, don't trust your heart. Don't live as though you think you're in control. Don't live life in light of your own eyes, doing what is right in your own eyes. Notice, they were doing what was right in their own eyes, but in the eyes of God, what they were doing was actually wicked. And that's often how it is. When, it, when we're in the midst of our sin, in the midst of our struggle, we think what we're doing is actually right, but, but through God's eyes, what we're doing is, is, is wickedly sinful and wrong. See, apart from the Holy Spirit, our desires, they are all messed up. They are are wicked. Our hearts are corrupt. Matthew 15, 19. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. Was there anything good there at all? Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Some translations say sick. Who can know it? Clearly, our unregenerate hearts are hard towards the things of God. So when we do what is right in our own eyes, out of the desires of our heart, it is actually wicked in nature. Do you see that? That it is flowing from within and, and, and that as our desires come out, it is flowing because everything flows from within our heart and from within our heart is deception, is wickedness because our heart is sick. Well, it looks right to me. I mean, it makes sense in my situation and so, so many things, even as christians they do what is right in their own eyes and you're maybe some of you you like you've seen some friends or some family or those you love or maybe co-workers just go off and do crazy stuff and you're thinking man if i why, what are they doing why why are they going that way but then you end up doing something and, and they look at you and be like what, what are you doing why are you going off in that direction See, when we do what is right in our own eyes, like the nation of Israel, we do what looks right to us. And our measure of righteousness for us is very different than the measure and the righteousness of a perfect and almighty God. Can can we agree this morning that your understanding of goodness and God's goodness are a little bit different? That, That your understanding of righteousness and God's perfect righteousness are a bit different. And so when we do what is right in our own eyes, what we do is we twist the sinful things we do to justify our actions. So, well, they did this to me, so, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this back to them. I mean, I can, we can always find a reason to justify doing what is right in our own eyes. And here's the sad thing about doing what is right in our own eyes. When we do what is right in our own eyes, we are actually saying to God, God, I know better than you. God, I know what's better for me than you do. And this only ends badly, right? Proverbs 14, 12, the end of this path, death is awaiting. So if you are thinking, I knew it, maybe, and some of you are thinking, I came here to visit. I'm kind of checking out this church. I was brought by some friends or whatever, and I I knew it. God is out to rain. I'm a parade. He doesn't want me to have any fun. Listen, this couldn't be further from the truth, and let me prove it to you. When have you done what was right in your own eyes, and how did it go? Think about a time in your life when you took things up by your own hands and you did it your way. You did it that was right in your own eyes. How did it go? Okay, if it went well for a little bit, have you nailed it every single time you did what was right in your own eyes? And when you acted like God, thinking you know better than Him, let me ask you even if you got what you want, are you satisfied? Even if you did what was right in your own eyes and you got what you wanted, are you deep within your soul satisfied? Don't follow your heart. The Bible says about your heart, guard your heart. Protect your heart. Don't do what is right in your own eyes. Do what is right in his eyes. And the way you can see through the eyes of God is by looking at what God has said in the scriptures. So going back to Judges 21, 25. In those days, there is no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Verse 1 of Ruth. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem and Judah went out to sojourn in the country of Moab. Moab. Moab which we will become familiar with today and, and next week, was cursed by God. These, this people, this nation, were, they were, were deeply cursed by God because Moab's inception began from disgusting sin. Abraham's nephew, which many of you know who is Lot, uh, had children, and Lot had sex with his oldest daughter, And Moab was birthed. And that sort of relationship is by far the most disgusting relationship, probably of all human relationships. And that is the beginning, that's just the beginning of the people of Moab. This relationship between Lot and his own daughter caused strife between Moab and Israel, and Moab became an enemy of Israel. They had infiltrated oppression in Israel. And it's interesting that the Moabites would kind of bug them a little bit and and then kind of back off for a little while and then then get on their nerves again and then back off. And and in 2 Kings, the Moabites uh, make another encore appearance to trouble Israel once again. And it was during the time of the judges, the Moabites occupied Israel and Israel suffered heavy, 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 heavy pain for 18 years under the Moabites. And they would taunt them off and on and off and on even after David left his throne. And it's interesting, you can actually read in I believe it's 1 Samuel 15. I'm not for sure on that, but um, it is in Samuel um, where, where God told Saul, King Saul, to completely and utterly destroy all of the Moabites. Just destroy them. And, and he fails to do so, and he doesn't. And just a few of them get away, and, and they end up coming back again to, to, uh, to bring judge, to, to fluster and, and anger and bring oppression and pain to God's people. The Bible tells us that the Moabites were wicked people. You might think, why would God want to obliterate an entire nation off the earth? Well, again, his righteousness is different than ours. The Bible does tell us that the Moabites practiced child sacrifice. In 1 Kings 11, you can read that they would offer their infant children, place them on an altar with kindling and light that and char their infant child to death. And they did this in they really were mimicking what the Israels did in lamb sacrifice and sacrifice of, of blood offering for the Lord for the remission of sin. So they took that and they made it their own. But instead of using lambs, they used their own children. So not only was this disturbing, but this is basically giving the finger to the one and true God. It's not just saying oh, I'm kind of on the fence with God right now. It is saying, God, I am completely and utterly against you. Because if you're not for Him, then you are against Him. There's 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 no place for you to be sitting on the fence right now. Now, if you're on the fence of Oh, I'm trying to figure out God. I'm trying trying to make sense of this life. Okay, then great. Ask questions. Talk. Ask that God would reveal his truth to you in scriptures. Read the Bible. Come talk to one of us. Come talk to those of you uh, who invited you to church if you're kind of on the fence. But at the end of the day, if you're not for him, you are against him. You are an enemy of him. If you are not a child of the light, you are a child of darkness. But But don't be on the fence with it. And I mean, you know, if, if, if anything was going for the Moabites, at least they were extremely rebellious towards God, right? But it's interesting that in the midst of this darkness is right where we begin to pick up the story of Ruth, right? These people were the scum of the earth. They were prideful against God. And so God cursed them, and God would eventually judge them with fire and with deadly war. That's how it ends, but it's not, it's about, I believe it's around 350 years after King David had left his throne. So things are pretty bad, right? When you look at the book of Ruth and you look at your life, the landscape's a bit different. There's some similarities, but landscape is, is very much different, um, And if those days weren't bad enough, look at verse one again. It says, in those days, or in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. Of all that was happening, people were starving to death. They were hungry, and there was a famine in the land. And it was so bad that some of God's people left, we're going to unpack this more next week, left the land of promise and went to, the, of all places, Moab. That's how bad it was. They went to Moab to find refuge. So as we venture through the book of Ruth, we realize among the rebellion, there is a remnant. Everyone was doing right in their own eyes, but God had a plan before the foundations of the world that he would set apart a few remnant for his own glory. So the remnant is what we are looking at. The remaining, the, the, the chosen few, the remnant of God's sustaining sovereignty with his remnant people. The book of Ruth and the remnant is about God's power revealed and God's powerless people. The book of, Re- of Ruth is about the illumination of redemption towards hopeless outsiders, towards those who are least deserving. And Old Testament stories, as you read them and as I read them, must be understood as this. This is a real story with real events, with real people, with real pain. We were uh, we were on the mainland. We went to Disneyland for, um, for the day. And, you know, my kids love Disney characters, and they watch it on TV every once in a while. And, um, but their reaction when they're in person to a character who is walking through the park at Disney or some of the other parks they have is very different than the one they see on television. You know what I mean? Like, wh- like on TV, when they see Pluto, they're not running up to Pluto and giving the TV a hug. So they're not doing that, but but when we're when're in Disneyland, they see Pluto running around, they run up to him. Why? Because it's real. the response is different there's there's flesh there's there's i mean weird flesh, but there's flesh on it and and they don't talk, but they look at you and they give you high fives and pound it, and they do all these things and so um, and so I remember the boys just running up to and, and embracing Pluto and Pluto embracing them. Um, this is really kind of how our approach should be to, to the book of Ruth. A lot of times we kind of, it's, we, we view the Old Testament or even the stories in the Bible as flat. We just kind of read it. Enter into the story. Feel the pain that they are going through the deliverance they experience. Let every word bring weight to your heart and your mind, transform the way that you even read the scriptures because when, you're, when you read it as though it's 3D, it's not something flat, but it's real, you begin to embrace and understand the weight and the truths of the stories in the Bible, specifically the short story of the book of Ruth. You can begin to grasp all that God would, would speak to you in this book. Ruth is a testament of God's faithfulness to unfaithful people because Israel has cheated on God. Israel is an unfaithful bride. And God has revealed in this drama that the greatest story to be seen throughout all this is that Jesus, in Jesus Christ, We have our Redeemer. Ruth is a declaration and a promise for Israel of what is to come. It is a shadow of what will become flesh when the word of God became flesh in John 1. And the book of Ruth for us is a promise and a reminder that Jesus has come for us. That Jesus, our great redeemer, has chosen to purchase us, buy us, wash us, undeserved sinners. See, it is in Jesus we have the redemption of sin. And Ruth begins without a king. Notice uh, verse 25 of, of Judges 1. And there is no king in Israel. But the book of Ruth ends, pointing us to the one and the true king. And in closing here, it's no coincidence that Ruth means friendship. Ruth means friendship. And as we study this book in the weeks to come, we will see this story be brought to life and what Jesus said in John fifteen fifteen: No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I call you friends. For I have heard from my Father, all that I've heard from my Father, I've made known to you. If anything can be understood and said as you read ahead and look and indulge in this book, especially as we begin next week uh, getting to know the characters as we make our way through Ruth, that no matter how far you are from God this morning, No matter how deep your rebellion is, you are never too far from the reach of God's love. You have never, you haven't sinned so much that you've exhausted the grace that God would have towards you. Ruth, you guys, Ruth was a Moabite. She was a Moabite. Yet she makes it into Jesus' genealogy. So no matter how far you've run, no matter how wicked you have strayed, no matter how long you have been doing what was right in your own eyes, know this morning that in Jesus you have redemption. In Jesus you have the forgiveness of sins. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. A people who do what is right in our own eyes. Who live in rebellion against you. And God, even as we live in rebellion against you, you extend grace and mercy to us that that you pour your compassion and your love and your mercy on us that even while we were still sinners, you died for us. that you would reveal your love that you have for us before we ever knew you or thought of you. Jesus, thank you that in the cross, we do have redemption. And no matter how far we've strayed, no matter what we have done, no matter what we have rebelled in and for how long we've done things in our own eyes, even including me, that we can still again come before you in a place of repentance asking for forgiveness from you God and you are faithful and just to cleanse us and to forgive us from all unrighteousness so as we look and unpack Ruth and the weeks to come God would you show us more of Jesus Jesus Would our minds think rightly of what you would have for us in the scriptures? And may we be a people who do not do what is right in our own eyes. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, would you so move in our hearts that our hearts would desire what you desire? That you would take this heart that is sick, this heart that is made of stone, and heal it melt our hearts of stone into hearts of flesh. May we repent and may we believe on your name, Jesus. So if you are in here this morning and you do not know Jesus before you came in here, but through the power of the gospel, God has revealed Jesus to you. Respond to Jesus in faith. Believe on his name and you will be saved. And if you're a Christian in here this morning and you've been doing what is right in your own eyes, repent. You know what hasn't been working well for you, anyways. Don't do what is right in your own eyes. Ask the Holy Spirit to give you the strength to do what is right in His eyes. And when you fail, know that you have a loving Father and a Redeemer who extends grace to you in the midst of your failure. So God, thank you for your scriptures. Thank you for our church family. Thank you for what you're doing. We pray that we would continue to be on mission. Seeing people who are in sin, in rebellion towards you, doing right in their own eyes, be illuminated to the truths of the gospel. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. We hope that Jesus is doing a work in your life from the message that you just heard. We would love to hear how you were impacted and what was impressed on your heart. Share your story by emailing connect at shorebreakchurch.com. And if you don't know Jesus as God, Lord and Savior, or you have more questions, send us an email to info at shorebreakchurch.com so we can get you dialed in with a free Bible and resources for your new relationship with Jesus.